Business Women Rock, Episode 4. Ladies, it's time to rock. Welcome to the Business Women Rock Podcast, where we get down and dirty with the world's most incredible business women. Inspire your journey by listening to theirs. And now, here's your host, Katie Kremitzos. Welcome to the Business Women Rock podcast. I am so grateful you're here to listen to this episode today, and I'm really grateful you've been listening to the show. And if you like what you've heard so far, go leave us a rating on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. So today's interview is with Kirsten Block. Kirsten and her husband started the Buffalo Exchange 40 years ago. Now, the Buffalo Exchange is one of my favorite stores. They have really, really fashionable clothes and shoes and jewelry and all that sort of stuff at a really, really great price. And I've been shopping there ever since I was a little girl. Uh, Kirsten and her husband actually founded it right in the backyard of where I grew up. I was really excited to speak with Kirsten and hear about her journey on how she's grown the company over these past 40 years, how they've scaled out. They now have 46 stores Three franchises are in 17 different states, and she manages almost 800 employees. This is such a great story about starting in a tiny little retail place in Tucson, Arizona, to this massive growth and what her experience has been along the way. So turn up the volume. The interview starts now. Kirsten, thank you so much for being here on the show with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I got to admit, I'm I'm kind of feeling like a giddy little girl being able to have a conversation with you here today because you founded your company in Tucson, Arizona, which is about 20 minutes north of my small little town of Saudita, Arizona, where I grew up. And when my sister was at the University of Arizona, I remember going up there as a junior high school student and stopping at the Buffalo Exchange and it was the trendiest place to get some clothes. And I remember I would save my babysitting money to go and, and get some cute shirts there. I really have taken um, ownership over Buffalo Exchange and the brand. And I was so excited to be able to connect with you and, and to know that you were coming on the show today. I was really excited about that. So let's dive in and kind of get down and dirty. You are not originally from Tucson. So how did you get to Tucson? I got a scholarship after I graduated uh, high school in Sweden to study for one year in America. And uh, they sent me to Tucson, Arizona, because I wanted to study anthropology. And so I, I got a scholarship to come to the University of Arizona in 1960 for one year. And did you did you love it right away, or you know did you really uh, click with the with the area because it's so different? Tucson is definitely a, a very unique place. I thought it was a very strange place. <laughs> you know the the way nature looked, and it was incredibly hot. I got here in August. I think I was you know just kind of in shock for a, a couple of weeks, and then I settled in. And... What happened that got you to even start being inspired and in, and in being into fashion? Well, I was always into fashion, you know, from the time I was probably a small child and my mother dressed me up in the most creative outfits. When I got into maybe like, got to be about 12 or 13, I realized that you could just 
make all your own clothes and you could look like other people didn't. So I had, I, I knew how to sew and I started making clothing from, you know, new patterns, just sewing and also remaking clothing that I found. When did you get that inspiration to actually start the Buffalo Exchange? I was 32 and I had some less than exciting jobs. So my husband and I encouraged me to look at something that he thought I might want to do. And this is what I thought because people would not, would give uh, away clothing, you know, to, to the thrift stores and things like that. But there's a lot of good stuff there. I thought so if you bought it then or traded for it, your chances of getting a lot of good stuff were better. And everybody doesn't have that absolute rummaging or rooting around in a pile of clothing instinct that I do. Now, did you have any business background before? Uh, I did not, but my husband, he was uh, born and raised in business. I was just interested in finding the good stuff and having people find it. And so how did you decide on your business model? Like, did you and your husband create an actual business plan or did you just kind of wing it? We had none, I would say. It was pretty much just a lark. I found a space that was $100 a month, and it was right on top of the University of Arizona. And it was 400 square feet, and we thought, well, we could try it. You know, we're we're not doing anything else better with our lives. So um, he had a job, though, so we had enough money to survive. Otherwise, no. It took us a good seven or eight years after we'd been in business where we actually thought about things like business model or... Uh, you know, planning overall. So you open the location, you start the company, you're out going in and basically finding the clothes, the accessories, all that sort of stuff, bringing it back to the store, being able to resell it, offering people the opportunity to come in and sell their clothing. What happened that first year of business? People obviously took to it. So what happened and what what was that first year like for you? It was fun. I mean, it's fun to do something that's people like and that's uh, you know appreciated by others and we just kind of went ahead and uh, and did it you know I was to go out in the mornings look for stuff he'd be there in the morning we start buying clothes after one the best thing that happened to us I think one of the reasons we were on a very busy street that was one thing so people walked by all the time like people from the university but the other thing that happened was that a girl came in from the Wildcat, the, which was the University of Arizona school paper. And she wrote an article about us, like maybe mid-March or something like that. But we've been in business for about two and a half months. And uh, she was very enthusiastic about the store and the concept. And that, that kind of made us exposed to a wider audience. So that, I would say, was one of the defining things that actually happened to us in our business. And that definitely got the word out to uh, to everyone. Yes, it got the word out. Not to everyone, but it got the word out a lot more than we could by ourselves. Did you guys do any other marketing in that first year? Oh, yeah. My husband was a very unusual visual person, and he did all kinds of unusual ads, I must say. He had a friend, and they created, you know, really outrageous ads. And uh, I think they got us, you know, publicity as well. Within that first year, and I'm really focusing on that first year because that's make it or break it. You either find out if your business model is going to work or you fail and you figure it out fast. So it it obviously stuck and it was such a new concept. I really want to stress that 
the concept of that consignment type of, of clothing sale, that had never really been done before. Is that correct? Well, people have had consignment stores, which, you know, you leave something there and then when it sells, then you get, you know, I think at that point you probably got about 50% of the selling price. But the difference that I put on it was that I only took stuff that, you know, was visually appealing and something somebody else would want. And the other thing we did is we paid cash. So you paid right up front. And I actually do remember this. Um, I went to Arizona State University and I grabbed a bunch of clothes and I went to the Buffalo Exchange just down the street. I remember the Buffalo Exchange only took about 10% of my clothes. And I walked away feeling, how dare they not take my clothes? However, that level of quality control made sure that every single item in the store was top-notch and really great. And that's one thing that really set you apart. And you've had that from the get-go. We did. And people always remember me as the lady who did not buy their clothes. They remember <laughs> this for the rest of their life. And at the they end were of the, rejected. And at the end of the day, they were thanking you for it because they went in and bought really great clothes, right? Yeah, well, you know, some people just have the ability to see and some people don't. How long was it before you opened your second location? Uh, our first location was only 400 square feet, and we rented it in this little building by the university on the side street, and a shoemaker was in the other part. And then he was a very old shoemaker, and he died. So then we took over the other 400 square feet, so then we had 800 square feet. And uh, that was like pretty soon after we opened, maybe like eight or nine months. And then after that, we got a bigger store, another store here in Tucson. And from there on, we went to Tempe, where we opened the store again, right very close to university. And that also worked out very well. So we figured we should be in the university area. So very good for us. So after opening one store, now you saw that the model could actually work somewhere else. What were some of the criteria that you looked at when you open more and more stores? Right now, you currently have 46 stores um, and three franchises. So what are some of those decisions that you're making? What are you looking at when you're going into a new market? We, we have real specifics as what we want when we go into a new market. And uh, location is definitely one of the more serious considerations. We also try to locate on a main street so people see you when they drive by at least or walk by. We always take out a space that's, you know, of a certain size. We don't like to go any less than about 2,400 square feet because you have to, every item in our store is pretty inexpensive. So you have to be turning over them incessantly. And then we look for a place where people are that would appreciate our concept so we we used to think that our clientele were kind of like the young bohemians, but we don't know. That's not really true anymore. But we, we do like to be with our students who need, you know, to sell clothing or they, they come to school, they got the wrong clothes. And so they want to sell it and then they want to buy stuff. That's what people are wearing there. And so we sell them those clothing or they trade. Also, where there's a kind of a mobile population, you know, a suburban area where 
shopping center where the growing families is, would, would never work for us in this business. That's really interesting because you have to have the turnover really at the end of the day. Is that correct? We have, yeah, we have really fast turnover. That's great. We also force turnover because if it doesn't sell in a month, then it goes on half price sale. And then if it doesn't sell at half price the next month, then we donate it. We take things that don't sell at our regular stores and we send them to our outlet store and we have one of those in Nogales, Arizona, and we just converted our store in San Antonio, Texas, to an outlet store, and we sell everything for about $7 or less. That's really interesting to me because in your niche market, if you're still, you still have inventory that's not selling, you will find another market where it will sell. Yes. That's great. At a price at which it will sell. As you've expanded out, what did you have to figure out internally in order to expand and in order to manage that scale? That was very difficult. I would be traveling from store to store to fix them, and I'd fix them, I'd leave, and they fall apart again. So finally we realized we, we have to have people that are in that local market that can oversee those stores and help them succeed because certainly I could not do it from Tucson, Arizona. How did you manage your first employee, your 10th employee, and now you have 750 to 800 employees under the Buffalo Exchange brand, depending on the time of year? What has your leadership style been? How has your management style been? Well, at first, I think we had no clue. But my husband had, uh, among his many other endeavors, acquired a master's degree in counseling psychology. So we built um, how we manage people a lot on that concept. We like to empower people. This management technique only works for some people, obviously. We have worked on it for years. And um, so we teach all of our employees, you know, financial understanding. We make it so that they understand, you know, how the business is doing. We share all the books with them. They know everything about our business because we want them to be engaged in our business and care about it. And we try to teach them basically good people skills. They, they, it's a given they're going to have to know how to have that visual sense, but they have to be able to deal with people because, like you said, the people are the key. You can't make it without the people. So, you know, we, we try to create the best people we can, so we teach them things like five points of power. We, we teach them to work on themselves so they can develop themselves and become more aware of themselves and how they affect others. Now, your husband started writing a book called The Way of the Buffalo, a book that you uh, and your daughter finished. And in there, you actually talk about that, about your kind of your management style, about how you really try and develop people as individuals. And it's a beautiful read. I highly recommend it. And you talked about open book management, and you just mentioned that here right now. And open book management is really the idea of sharing all of your financials with all of your employees. That is a divider, I think, for a lot of business owners. Some Either you are absolutely against it or you're absolutely for it. And I've met both types of entrepreneurs. Tell me your reasoning behind having an open book management style and the benefits and some of the drawbacks to it. One, you let people in 
on how they're doing. So it's like a report card of them. You know, each store has their own financial statement. Each store and their managers are involved in setting the goals for those. And so meeting their goals, their financial goals are essential because if they don't, they really, we really can't keep that store. We, we don't keep underperforming stores. So in order to have a good performing store, I believe you have to have your, your employees and your manager in that store be invested in understanding how the economics of the store works. First person we ran into that did this is called Jack Stack, and the book was called The Great Game of Business. And he shows how he took this failing business and by, by letting the people understand what was needed from them, he was able to turn it around. And I, I believe firmly that this, this concept works. I've mentioned before you have 46 locations and three franchises. Can you talk to me a little bit about why you did not go a 100% franchise model and why in a um, heavy corporate model and building out your stores that you guys own, why you actually do have franchises? Why is there that combination? There is that combination, which is uh, a leftover. Because we went into one of the things that happened when we worked with my brother-in-law was that he wanted us to franchise because he saw that this could be very profitable. So we went through, you know, setting up all the legal documents. We worked over a year to get approved or, you know, develop methods and so on so we could franchise. And uh, then we thought, well, this is kind of a tricky business. The more we got into it, we realized that probably not everybody can do this business. So we decided we could franchise to people who worked for us and wanted their own businesses. So we had quite a few people who wanted to do that. It was a very inexpensive franchise to get into because we didn't really have to train the people and we had about maybe nine stores at one time that were franchises, but we had no intention of not having our own stores. And as it turned out, when you franchise, it is like your government is very heavily in, interested in your business, and you have to fill out huge amounts of reports, and uh, you're under scrutiny all the time. So we decided that we spent so much money on the legal oversight of this business that we could really start a 401k plan and put money into everybody's account for, for the same amount of money. We could put our money there instead of into this franchising. And then franchising is a really completely different business because now you're not in the business of selling clothing anymore. Now you're in the business of selling franchises. So the three franchises you currently have are really the ones that are left over from, from that initial desire to franchise. Yes, one person who doesn't want to give them up. The rest of them, we've either bought them back or the people who had them decided they don't want to pay a royalty to us. What advice would you give to any business owner out there who's listening, who wants to franchise or who just wants to open multiple locations of their business? Well, franchising is very legally complicated, so you have to be be very willing to spend money on uh, consultants and lawyers. And then you have to realize that the concept 
is no longer the important thing. It's really the, the franchising process and the selling of the franchises. As far as growing your own business, I realize in retrospect that you then there you have to develop yourself so that you become a better leader. You have to be excited about what you're doing. You, ha- you have to love it. I run into a lot of young people now, and their model is to get some kind of funding, put the idea out there, develop it, and then sell it for a lot of money. Well, my business has been exactly the opposite. It's been slow and steady and taken me 40 years. Now, you mentioned your brother-in-law um, a little bit ago. I want to go back to that point. At one point, your brother-in-law was a partner in a division of the Buffalo Exchange. Mm-hmm. Tell us what happened there, because it, it definitely paved the way for the direction the Buffalo Exchange went afterwards. So tell us a little bit about what happened there. We worked with him for about maybe two years, I'm thinking. And after we'd done that, we he he was the one that was instrumental in wanting us to do franchising, which was a good thing, because we learned an awful lot about how to make as able to have more than one store or, you know, how to be able to cope, like develop better, more of a business model. And we worked with a person who, who was very helpful to us, I must say. And so it was like kind of like getting your business degree that neither one of us had, like in a reasonably short time period. But also what happened was that his idea of the business was not the same as ours, and it took us a while to understand that he saw saw this as a business, and I saw this as something that was a passion of mine and that I loved. And he really had, his goal was to make me a non-essential part of the business, and he wanted my husband and him to be developing this business concept. So I didn't take real well to this uh, suggestion, and neither did my husband. And eventually what happened was that it, it, we realized that we did not have the same goals. So uh, we had to come to a painful decision that probably we would not be able to work together anymore. And we bought him out. There are a lot of our listeners who are in a business relationship right now that does not sit well with them or they're they're starting to see things very differently. What kind of advice can you give to business owners out there who are sort of thinking about or know that they have to go through a business divorce? It's a difficult thing to do, especially if it is with your family. And it typically doesn't have a good outcome for your future relations as a family. But I do think, I think, I mean, in retrospect, of course, this was the worst business decision I ever made. And since we were in a family working together, it was even a harder decision because we kind of fell into it. It seemed really good from the start, and then it just turned out very unhappy. So I would say before anybody takes on a partner, they really have to look and see that these people have the same goals that they do. I want to do the same thing, and then that they would definitely have to have some kind of uh, legal agreement. So if things don't work out very well, they know what to do, which we did not. Now, he has since started up another brand of stores that is 
actually a major competitor of yours. How do you handle that competition? Well, I am, you know, I'm sure he does well. This is a good business concept. He's actually, he's passed away now, but I think he tried to make himself look different than ours, that he would have like really good clothes. They'd be more designer and, uh, you know, they would focus on fashion more than we do. We focus on, on a lot of other things, like we focus on style, we focus on the whole, you know, earth concept, you know, buy, sell, and trade. We focus on an eclectic style and probably appeal to a more alternative lifestyle population than he does. But I'm an, also an incredibly competitive person, so it kind of really spurred me on to look at my business, my husband and I both after this, to see, you know, what could we do to make ourselves better. For me, it was a good thing. I learned and I grew a lot and I understood a lot more and took more of an interest in business itself. You've been in business for 40 years. You've seen technology grow in that time and the use of technology for business really deepen. How have you guys stayed competitive in a market where online bargain websites are really thriving? Um, we have had a, you know, a website where we sold things on it from Buffalo Exchange and uh, that's also like a different business. Unless you're going to spend enormous amounts of time on it and you're listing one item at a time, it's not worth anybody's time to do that and sell a purse or a blouse for $20, you know, because it's going to cost you more than that to get it up there. It sounds like you've really gone through the school of hard knocks of business. I mean, from knowing, having no business background to just learning through your journey and learning through the process. I hear you saying that, oh, it was a great learning lesson. So you're obviously always on, uh, you know, very self-aware, trying to better yourself. But what do you actively do to stay on top of your game? I try to stay really informed and keep up with fashion and inventory, what, what we have in the store. Other, I am just like a person who is nosy and interested in all kinds of stuff. So I just try to know as much as I can about business. You know, I, I read a lot of business books. And uh, one of my favorite concepts is the Dale Carnegie Managing Through People book. How full is your bucket? It's okay to be the boss. And this last year we did a whole project on the happiness advantage. And I thought that was a, that's another great, really uh, good book to read for yourself and develop yourself as well as your business. Can you remember a story or two of some of the biggest mistakes that you've made in your company and how you've rebounded back from those mistakes and what you've learned and how you've implemented uh, what you've learned? I think we make mistakes every day. And I think we, we look at them. And at first, they didn't seem like a mistake. They were... We thought this was a good thing to do, but as time went on, of course, they showed not to be having this been the smartest decision. And when you have a company of 800 people, you have to work through others. It's like steering a giant ship. I'm a big picture person, so it's a lot easier to deal with this if you're a big picture person than if you're a perfectionist because 
in my opinion, it's never going to be perfect. One of the best things somebody told me who is a, a really wonderful business person, she said, you know, sometimes you have to look at it and you have to say, this is good enough. And I think that's a really good mix. What do you love best about what you do now? Oh, it's always exciting. You know, it's, uh, it's like looking at new things. I'm a visual person, so I like to see new things. I like to see stores. I need to see, like to see them change. I like to see what people are wearing. We have mostly women employees, and we have trained and empowered hundreds and hundreds of women who have been able to go on to careers and places in their lives where they would never have been hadn't they worked for Buffalo Exchange and got a, you know, open book management uh, education and uh, had the opportunity to develop themselves you know, in a, in a both a psychological way and also learning how to stand up for themselves. Kirsten, after 40 years of business, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs out there who are wanting to start their own companies? The first thing I think anybody who wants to start their own company has to do is to look at what their concept is. What are they going to be offering people? I think you have to have a product that's needed in the society. That's my one thing. And I think you yourself have to be passionate about it. You have to love it. And you have to know that this is really what you want to do. I love that. I absolutely agree with that. You're in your 70s. You're obviously not slowing down. You're incredibly involved in your business still. What keeps you fired up? Oh, it's just, you know, my husband died about four years ago, and uh, that that's, that's kind of always a shock when you find yourself there, and it is just you. Um, you know, so for one of the things, my daughter works with me here, so one of the things that keeps me going is that she still needs me to, to work with things, and we work, I, I work mostly on concepts and, you know, uh, policy things these days. It gives me something to do that's, you know, important. And I think that's probably one of my key motivators. I, I really enjoy working with others in my business. Kirsten, I want to kind of bring this entire conversation and this interview down to uh, the final question, which is, what is the vision for your company? And what, what do you see for the years ahead of you? Oh, I see that we're going to continuously improve. I think that we're going to be, we keep, you know, we're going to be a growing company. And uh, besides that, you don't know what's going to happen to you. That's one thing I have learned. Uh, I had cancer, you know, you never know what's going to happen. So you just kind of take it as it comes. No one for making long range plans, but uh, you can always have the, the goal of being better and growing your company and enjoying yourself while you're doing it. Well, you definitely are the epitome of that exact model of growing a company, digging your fingers in, and enjoying every second of it with passion. So I really want to thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate your time today. Sure, no problem. You know what my favorite part of these interviews have been, and I'm hoping that your favorite part of listening to these interviews have been, is that every single woman has a completely different story, and yet so many of those fundamental business lessons are very similar. I love the idea that so many varied types of women 
can have successful businesses because they choose to look at themselves, they choose to grow, they choose to make smart decisions, and they choose to follow their passions. I hope you got something from my interview with Kirsten that you can take back and use in your business. And I just hope that you were entertained, that you really enjoyed a great business story. So go to iTunes, go to Stitcher Radio and give us a rating. Let us know how you like it. And you can also go to bizwomenrock.com to get all the show notes from these shows and get pages of resources that are going to help you along in your journey. I hope you enjoyed the show. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking.